Is your work-life balance in check? What people will say, and they misunderstand my message, is they go, oh, well, it's all right for you, Nigel, but you know, I've got to earn a living. And you go, well, Tim, Jeffrey, and Marissa haven't got to. They are worth, together, collectively, one and a half billion dollars. So they haven't got to get up a quarter to four. They haven't got to do 130 hours. Yet they do. And we think they're clever. I think they're a moron. If I had one and a half billion dollars, I'd be surfing. I mean, what did you do? So it's it's really insidious. So it's not about be a hippie. I'm nothing wrong with being a hippie, but being a hippie or being the CEO of Apple. It's about normal people with normal jobs and families and lives not thinking they've got to be basically a modern day version of an Egyptian slave. You have reached Escape the 9 to 5. Please leave a message after the tone. Hi there. I'm doing a boring day job and finding life sucks. Stuck in a 9 to 5 job and looking for something different? Escape the 9 to 5 is your guide to freedom. My name is Steve O'Ely and my mission is to help you on your own career change journey. I talk to successful professionals who've either taken the leap themselves or have always done work differently. They share stories so that you can learn from their mistakes and benefit from their successes. Escape the 9 to 5 and join us on our journey to a more enjoyable life. Is having work-life balance achievable? Is it realistic? What does work-life balance even mean to me? These are likely questions you've had running through your head. Welcome to Season 2 of Escape the 9 to 5. I'm your host, Steve O'Ely. I'm somebody just like you. I followed the traditional career path, got a great qualification, and was doing well on paper, and yet I was unhappy. The theme for this season is identifying where you are currently, and a big part of this is figuring out your own definition of work-life balance. You want a successful career, you want to earn good money, but you're also getting stressed out not spending enough time with family and friends, barely any time for hobbies, let alone some exercise at the end of your workday. Something's got to give. Who better to discuss work-life balance than with Nigel Marsh, an advertising executive who lost his job with four young kids and decided to remain unemployed for a year to spend time with his family and figure out what work-life balance meant to him. He's also done a wildly popular TED talk on work-life balance, authored multiple books including Fat, 40 and Fired, has his own podcast, The Five of My Life, as well as speaking around the world about his experience. I joined the conversation with Nigel discussing how he went from a corporate career to, in his own words, Fat, 40 and Fired. Well, I mean, I I had a conventional career in the advertising industry. I I had some small measure of success. So I was sent from UK to Australia to run the Australian companies of an American multinational. And so I was just on a a standard, you know, career ladder, Um, the CEO of a couple of agencies in Australia. And and long story short, I I lost my job because they closed the company uh, a year after I arrived in Australia. So I was halfway around the world from where my friends and family were. I'd never been to the Southern Hemisphere before. I was 40, I was fat, I was alcoholic, and I was unemployed. 
So it was. It's difficult to explain now because things have sort of worked out subsequently. But at the time, you know, not many people want a forty-year-old unemployed advertising executive. I had four kids under the age of six, no friends or family in the country. So it was a pretty serious time, and I made a, a decision, which you know depends. Is it irresponsible? Is it courageous? A bit of both. Who knows? Where I'm not going to just jump back into it. I'm going to try and change my life in every single way. I've got no security, no money, no nothing, but I, I don't really like how this is panning out. I've yeah. been following the rules that other people have set, that society has set, and look where that's got me. Halfway yeah. around the world, unemployed, thrown yeah. on the scrap heap. So I thought, yeah, sod it. I'm going to sort some things out. And so that changed my life from that day on. I mean, it, and it wasn't all roses. I, you know, no, I... I, I took a year out of the, the corporate space and gave up drink, lost weight, sorted some things out, put the things that were important to me at the centre of my life, not leave them at the edge. And ever since then, have lived my life in a slightly unconventional, different way. And was it the getting fired that was the catalyst to do all that or was there already something bubbling away at the surface? Yeah, that's interesting. That's, that's a good question, Steve, because the truth is, I mean, I went to uni and I studied theology which is not the sort of thing you do if you, if you don't question life a little bit. So I'd always been thinking about what's the point and is it all just about getting a BMW and renovating your house and, you know, is it just relentless <laughs> consumption and whatever? But it's also true that if I hadn't lost my job, I wouldn't have done what I did. And that's a key part of the message that I have when I give, I'm hard to give speeches about this around the world, is for most people, it takes one of the big four death, disease, divorce, or redundancy to make you do the proper reflection. And that was absolutely true for me. I was not clever enough to say, do you know what? I'm not, I don't like how my life is heading. I don't want to do another 10 years of this, so I'm going to change. I would have carried on. If they hadn't closed the firm, I would have carried on and yeah. I'd be talking to you now and I'd be six going heavier and I'd be already had a drink and you'd probably be divorced or whatever. So Part of the reason why I agree to come on a podcast like this or, or, or do a speech when I'm hired is if something that I say or something that I write can help just one other person do that reflection without one of the big four happening to them, then I'm a happy, I'm a happy bloke. That, you know, don't, don't go through what I had to go through or don't get a cancer diagnosis or don't let your husband or your wife walk out on you is, you know, maybe there are people out there who, who could benefit from just having a little think reflecting on their life. You're not entirely happy in your job and you know you'd like to do something different, but there's a level of comfort that's probably stopping you from doing anything about it. Inevitably, everyone ends up having a crisis in their lives that forces them to reconsider their job and their purpose in life. Are you prepared to wait until one of the big four, death, disease, divorce or redundancy to make change? I ask Nigel how he thinks we can overcome that level of comfort that stops us making change. I mean, you need to be ready. It's a bit like giving up drink. You need to be ready for the message. So you, you shouldn't impose on people. But if they are having those types of conversations, it's to get them to think about their funeral. You know, you, you look like, like you're a young spring chicken. I mean, how old are you? 32. 32, okay. So I, I find milestones quite important. When I was made redundant, I was 40, which is quite a useful age. 
But if you get to a certain age, you go, mate, this is it. This is the life that you're living. It's, it's different if you're 21 and you're starting out in a career and starting out in life. You've got to scramble and whatever. But it gets to a stage where you go, this isn't a joke. We're all heading to a hole in the ground. And when you are just on the edge of the grave, about to be pushed in, are you going to say, I'm really glad I made that extra sale or I got on the board or I was made a partner at the law firm? And, and many people, the answer might be yes. And that's great. So my message isn't everyone's got to do what I do. It's about authenticity and honesty. So yeah. it's getting people to project to what would happen when they look back. So like my guest, Bronnie Ware, she was, was a hospice nurse. She would talk to people on their deathbeds and say, what do you regret? And all of the men, without exception, said, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Without exception. <laughs> so they're not, they're not joking or trying to be funny. They're on their deathbed in a hospice. And Bronnie Ware is saying, what do you regret? And they mention, you know, a number of things. But all of the men say, I wish I hadn't put things that are important behind work. That doesn't mean we haven't got to work hard and pay the bills and be ambitious, but having a successful career that leads to a lonely old age full of regret is moronic. Yeah. I understand why people fall into it, but it's not the way. And it's too late when people write to me. I've had 30,000 emails, people writing to me. It, when they say, you know, I'm 70, Nigel. I don't know the names of any of my children's friends. I've been divorced twice. You know, what was it all for? It's quite hard to know what to say to them. But I'm talking to you and you look very nice and you're 32 and you go, well, mate, you've got your whole life ahead of you. That's great. And that doesn't mean, you know, if, if you want to be the richest bloke in New Zealand and work really, really hard and that's fine, knock yourself out as long as that's what you actually want to do. But now to start having those thoughts is a good thing, not a bad thing. Just to think about how is my life going to pan out? Because the truth, Steve, is outside of yourself people don't care about you and that shouldn't be surprised that's not horrible the government doesn't wake up saying how are we going to make steve's life meaningful that your, your firm does. doesn't it, it's it's your job to design how you want to feel if you're lucky you've got 60 summers left and it's up to you to decide how you're going to fill them if you leave it to your employer or the church or the government you know, forget it and not because they're nasty but but they've you know it's personal responsibility. But even for young people, like I was literally in a car crash a month ago and someone ran a red light and if they'd hit me in the driver's door, I'd probably be in a wheelchair, but I just got lucky and they clipped the top of the vehicle. So it can happen to anyone and you'd hope that people, if they're unhappy, would be considering things in the younger age, not when they're 70. Yes, and, and I think it's a fine balance and what you don't, what I'm very, very keen not to do is be too kumbaya, tree-huggy, and let people think that life isn't full of challenges and hard work, and we have to do lots of things we don't want to do, and you've got to be patient and all that stuff. You know, this, this sort of people having a midlife crisis at 19, and not, you know, you go, you know, toughen up, you know, cupcake. You know, life is hard. But to think about, and I talk about category norms. So if you are, are you a vet? Yes. Right. So if you hate animals, you probably shouldn't choose to be a vet. If you are scared of blood, you should probably shouldn't be a surgeon. If you hate heights, you shouldn't be a pilot. If you detest children, you probably shouldn't be a teacher. Right? There are certain jobs and categories of profession and life 
that are inevitably going to lead to a certain lifestyle. Because you can't get around. If you're a currency trader in New York, you get a bit shouted at and it's high stress. And nothing wrong with that. But if you don't like being shouted at and high stress, you shouldn't be a currency trader in New York. So rather than be moronically unrealistic and say, I want to be a vet, but I never want to meet an animal, you go, well, that, that's the job, mate. You're going to be meeting lots of animals, right? Is don't go into high-stress, high-pressured industries whose entire point is working really, really hard and being really, really competitive and making lots and lots of money and, you know, blah, 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 and squeezing as much out of you as you can if you don't like that type of stuff. Now, now my message is I think you could be successful, you can be wealthy, you can do a whole host of things and still have balance and meaning in your life. But you have to be realistic. If you're a long-distance truck driver, you're not going to be home for kids' tea. Yeah. Yeah? So the reflection as a young person is slightly different to a reflection as me as an, as an oldie. So I've, I've sort of done my dash. But to choose mindfully the way that you might make a living is a really, really good thing to do. But yeah. the questions and the issue of work-life balance, one of the things I rail against is the morons that think there is one answer, that your answer is, the, is right for me or mine is right for you. I would never it's say really. it's, it's, a, it's an internal thing. But also that thinking that there's a set and forget answer. So you're building a family and you're a vet, so you're going to have to be, I'd imagine, running around doing a whole bunch of stuff. But when you're 69 and, and your kids have left home and you've retired, you might have a different set of stuff. So it's, you've got to be flexible and mindful. It's not about, this is not, and I know the pod's called not the nine to five, but I mean, with respect for some people, nine to five is great. What Nigel is saying here is you've got to do what works for you. I never started Escape the Nine to Five with the intention to give a prescription which would work for everyone. Not everyone necessarily needs to quit their corporate job and become a tree-hugging hippie who lives in the forest and works 12 hours a week. Find a work-life balance that works for you. Being made redundant forced Nigel to reflect on his life and he chose to take close to a year off, a huge financial cost. But what the year off allowed him to do was prioritise his family and also realise he enjoyed working as an advertising executive, just not to the point of being overworked and not seeing his family. His book, Fat 40 and Fired, is genuinely one of the funniest books I have ever read. and also goes into more detail about what you can learn from his year off I join Nigel back, asking what his career looks like now. I mean, the money ran out, so I had to make a, make a living. And, and what actually happened was I went straight back into the same industry, is the truth. So, so don't, don't do what I do. Crashing hypocrite. I had a year off, money <laughs> ran out, and somebody offered me basically exactly the same job with exactly the same, you know, demands. I was very disappointed when I read that part of the book. <laughs> well, well that, and that's part of the reason why it's been a bestseller. Round, it still sells well, whatever it is, 15 years later, because it, it's obviously true. It's not, and I became a shepherd and aren't I clever. I went back. And what I actually did, which was really useful learning, Steve, is I went back into that world thinking that I could do it, but be the only advertising agency CEO in history that picked his kids up from school. That, you know, <laughs> and, and so that's part of why I feel I've got a valid voice is I'm not just making this stuff up. I'm talking from personal experience. I've tried to do the moronic, ignore the category norm. 
And trust me, it doesn't work. I was, I was less balanced after my year off than I was before because I had higher standards and I just wasn't, you know, it was a disaster. But to answer your, the spirit of your question is what's my career now? I, I do five different things. So I'm a writer. I've just finished my fourth book for Penguin. Uh, I'm a podcaster. I do a podcast called The Five of My Life. I'm a coach. I coach people personally and professionally. I'm a consultant. I've got my own management consultancy and, and I'm a speaker. I get hired to do speeches. So it's five things. And in, in my life, I'm not saying it's, it's right for other people, but I'm in charge of my life. I mean, I've still got to work to earn, to earn money, but it enables me to be flexible. And part of my message within the TED speech that I think you mentioned you'd seen is it's, for me, it's not about a daily routine. And it's really important, I think, that lots of people don't chase a daily routine. Oh, Nigel, tell me, should I get up at six o'clock or five o'clock? Should I do yoga or Pilates? I don't give a <laughs> Don't do any of that. Get up at half past 10. I mean, it makes no difference. What works for you is, for me, I will be have periods of intense busyness because I choose to. If I've got to do 80,000 words for Penguin and I've got three speeches and I've got to interview six people for my podcast, I'll have a very, very busy week. And I'm incredibly happy about that because I don't hold myself to a daily routine. Yep. And guess what? The next week I might do absolutely no work. Stay in bed or go surfing all week. Nigel is a naturally funny man and you get a taste of it in our conversation. He mentions his TED talk a few times and so here is a little taster. Up until that moment, I had been that classic corporate warrior. I was eating too much, I was drinking too much, I was working too hard, and I was neglecting the family. Uh, and I decided that I would try and turn my life around. In particular, I decided I would try to address the thorny issue of work-life balance. So I, I stepped back from the workforce, and I spent a year at home with my wife and four young children. But all I learned about work-life balance from that year was that I found it quite easy to balance work and life when I didn't have any work. <laughs> Not a very useful skill, uh, especially when the, when the money runs out. I joined Nigel back discussing what his year off taught him. So two things, I mean, I wanted to put the things and people that I loved at the center of my life, not at the edge. And it taught me that that was the right decision. The second thing it taught me really importantly was it's up to me. This is desperately important learning. I'd, I'd love to tell to other people. So you get to a sort of, a, I don't know, a level without being pretentious of enlightenment. You go, I want my life to be a certain way. Now you can get to that level of enlightenment and then say, so what's, uh, who's your prime minister? What's Ardern doing about it? Well, nothing. You know, what's, what's the Veterinary Association New Zealand doing about it? Nothing. You, you know, nor should they, nor will they. You know, it, it, you know if, if, if you've got a drink problem, you can't pass laws to stop you having a drink problem. You've got to sort it out yourself. And what it taught me was it's entirely fair. Goldman Sachs wants to make lots of money. Whatever the big firms in New Zealand, they're, they're, they're designed, you know, dogs sniff other dogs' backsides in a park. That's what they do. And if you don't like that, you think it's a bit rude, don't have a dog, right? That's what they do. <laughs> so the government, capitalism, share market, blah, 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 they can all try and be nice. And again, I said, in my TED speech, I said about, you know, dress down Freud and all that crap and kindy, <laughs> and, right? And, and, and all those things are fine on the top, but it's not the, it's not the 
it's, it's not the nub of the problem. Again, if you've got a drink problem and, and people close the pub when you walk past or they hide the drink, and it might help you a little bit, but there's a real issue for you to solve. You, Steve, you alone to solve. So the second most important learning of the year off was actually I've got to sort this out. To pretend that a multinational advertising network is going to sit down and reorganise its business so I can get home for kids' tea is, is infantile. You've got to recognise and be honest the nature. I, I, I did a, um, a speech for horse vets in America. And, and one of the things they've got is, you know, horses are big, so you don't bring them to the surgery. You, you've got to go to where the horse is. And if you get a call at three in the morning and the horse is 20 miles away, you, ca you can't say, come and see me at 9.30. You know, it's, so, so that's the nature of being a horse vet. You can't expect yeah. horses to be smaller. <laughs> or, you know, so, so it, it's up to you to, to sort it out. He's mentioned this a couple of times, so I'm going to repeat it here. If your job does not fit with your intended lifestyle, you should not be doing that job. Don't expect the job description to magically change, the hours of work to suddenly reduce, and your employer to stop focusing on money. It will not change. You have to take personal responsibility for your life. And if this doesn't match up with your job you're doing, you're in the wrong job and the wrong profession. I ask Nigel what he thinks about anyone taking a year off work. I got interviewed, it was actually in Detroit, and I was launching a book over there, and, and they said, so Nigel, I mean, they, they don't have a clue who I was, you know, so Nigel, you know, why do you recommend that an unemployed car worker should take a year off? And I, well, I, I don't. <laughs> I mean, it's like the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I, I advise an unemployed car worker to get another job very, very quickly, else his children will starve. So my, my books that I write are humorous autobiographies. They aren't, they are, I mean, you can take things from them, I hope, but they're not, look at me, I'm so clever, do what I did. That's just, that's just what happened to me. Uh, so in certain situations, it might be a good thing to do. In other situations, hugely stupid. You have, I mean, how are you going to earn them? How are you going to earn a living? I was lucky enough that I'd had a mildly successful advertising career, so I could basically spend all my savings to not earn for a year. Yeah. But, but for some people, I would, I would say the very worst thing to do is take a year off. Yeah. That is not my message. Or just mm. like, I mean, hilarious. Usually in America, I give speeches and I stand up and I say, I'm not here to talk about time management. And they go, but we've just paid you quite a lot of money to. To talk to us about time. No, no, no. You, you paid me to talk about work-life balance, and I view work-life balance as how to live a meaningful life, not how to spend equal amount of times on the golf course and in the office. And if I could make you do your job two hours quicker a day, you'd just do two hours more work, you idiot. Right? So it's quite... <laughs> many of the people who talk about work-life balance, I'm slightly maverick, and I don't care, because this is not how I make my living. I'm just doing this out of love. Talk rubbish. You, you, I mean, some of them talk rubbish so they can make money. Others of them talk rubbish because they're idiots that, you know, well-intentioned idiots giving really bad advice to vulnerable people. So there you go. I mean, I'm sorry, I've come off the, come off the, <laughs> the fence. Is People talk bloody crap about work-life balance, and they shouldn't because it's important. It's about living a life that's meaningful, 
there are no off-the-shelf answers. And it's, you know, there's morons in the magazines that crap on about their yoga and pilates and smoothies. I mean, it's just bollocks. <laughs> if it works for them, yee-haw. But if you're giving other people advice, there's proper advice. You know, do the reflection and think about what you, in your life, your family may have completely different objectives and hopes and dreams and fears than someone else. I mean, not, not maybe, you will have. You know, if you want to be at the centre of the finance industry, well, you bloody well shouldn't be living in New Zealand. If you want a rural lifestyle, you shouldn't be living in the centre of London. So you've got to sit down and think properly about this. It's not some off-pat... I hate the, the I, 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 on LinkedIn, you get this, this moronic, be a corporate athlete bullshit. It's all about productivity. And there's people that talk about, it's really important that you take your holidays, Steve, because then you'll be refreshed and better at work. As if the point of the holiday <laughs> is to make you better at work, rather than the point of the work is to fund you having a holiday. It's just a completely different mindset. Oh, I could go on a whole spiel on LinkedIn. But anyway, on the subject of work-life balance, one of my favorite parts of your TED Talk is, and we'll play this in the podcast, is when you talk about your perfect day. Before I went back to work, after my year at home, I, I sat down and I wrote out a detailed, step-by-step -step description of the ideal balanced day that I aspired to. And it went like this. Wake up well rested after a good night's sleep. Have sex. <laughs> Walk the dog. Have breakfast with my wife and children. Have sex again. <laughs> Drive the kids to school on the way to the office. Do three hours work. Play sport with a friend at lunchtime. Do another three hours work. Meet some mates in the pub for an early evening drink. Drive home for dinner with my wife and kids. Meditate for half an hour. Have sex. Walk the dog. Have sex again. Go to bed. How often do you think I had that day? Uh, we, we need to be realistic. But then you go on to say that you can't have it all in one day, but you don't want to wait until you retire to, to have that balance. So what do you suggest is the middle way? Oh, well, that, that's, that's a good question. And, it, and it's hilarious. That, 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 that's, I mean, I was obviously joking when I said, did that bit that you're going to play. You weren't. And, and, <laughs> and I, I get people, I mean, I've had, as I said, 30,000 emails and some of them are, oh, you know, poor old Nigel's wife, all that sex. And you go, the whole point was to set up an unrealistic day. No, no, some people say I'm being serious. You go, come on, guys. So, so the, the balance for me, I'm just talking about the balance of the time frame on which you judge yourself. And it's a really important because a daily unit is the wrong time frame. You I mean, you, you might have, I, I don't know, life of a vet in New Zealand, but you might have a, a, a series of disasters, which means you have to do a 21-hour day. And so you bloody should, because the poor old cat and dog are dying. But that doesn't mean that you'd be out of balance. It means you had a really, really busy weekend when all these things happened. So what happens is to make it realistic and flexible, because people say, oh, you don't understand how hard it is to be a doctor or a lawyer or a vet, so I can't, you know, I have to do long days sometimes, is they 
then just push it out until retirement, which means, well, then you're not addressing the issue. So to answer your question, I use a month. Now, I'm not saying that other people should use a month, but that's what I use. I'm expecting a prescription here, Nigel. I'm writing it all down. <laughs> a month is long enough to be flexible, but it's also short enough to not allow you to live in delusional denial. So just pretend I sit down and I go, it's really important to me that I, I don't know, I spend lots of time with my mother and I engage in my hobby of fly fishing. Yeah, so that, that's, that's, I mean, I've just made those two things up. Right? And then I look back at the end of the month that's just ended, November, and go, how many times have you spoken to or seen your mother? None. How many times have you been fly fishing? None. And you go, well, mate, it's not because you had a busy day or a busy weekend. I mean, you, you say these things are important to you. It's been four weeks. You've done fuck all, excuse my language. Therefore, you know, get wise to yourself. But if you said that on a, on a daily or a weekly basis, you could say, on, you know, Steve, you're not being realistic. You just had a busy day, mate. Grow up. But over a month, I think it's a useful check-in. You know, the things that you think are important to you, well, you say they're important to you, mate, but you haven't done it for the last 30 days. So yeah. either change the things that are important or raise your game. And that might mean saying no. It might mean earning less money. It might mean changing your career. If you haven't done something that you say is really important to you for a month, it, 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 there could be a very good reason. But if, there's a good, if another month goes and then another month, and I say, well, mate, this is three months and you haven't called your mother. So get wise to yourself. Yeah, it's pretty good advice. And as you say, it's not a prescription for everyone, but like having a long enough time frame that people can actually, because I'm sure there would be types of work where they'd be really busy during their peak time of the year, but doesn't necessarily mean they have no work-life balance. It just means at that time they do. So maybe for those people, they'd need to extend it out a bit more. But I do agree with that long time frame thing where you can't, Judge, just because you had one stressful, busy, long day doesn't mean that you don't have work-life balance. That's right. And, and I've, I've got friends who work running festivals. So they'll have an incredibly busy three months because that's you know, annual festivals, the Sydney Film Festival or whatever else. But what can happen, and I'm sure you've got friends and colleagues that do this, where they have a, a life that justifiably makes them very, very, very busy at certain times, but then that becomes their default habitual mode and they don't realize they're in it they're always running around with their hair on fire so when the festival is over or whatever it is they're still like that they don't go well now's my downtime i'm now that's the point i was saying about if i can make you do your job two hours quicker you just do two hours more appointments well what's the point we live in a society that glorifies busyness and overwork and you hear people going oh amanda's amazing she works every weekend she never takes her holidays no, Amanda's a moron who needs some help. Absolutely. You know I mean, it's, it's, it's sad. And we shouldn't say, you know, that's wonderful. And, and, and I see people in positions of power and influence crapping on about how hard they work. You, you have to be careful because you don't want to be smug. But there, there, there's a responsibility. Success isn't going ever faster, being ever busier. I'm not the right spokesperson. I've got perfect balance, mate. That doesn't mean I've got a perfect life. I have got perfect balance. I, I get stressed, I get busy, but I have perfect fucking balance and I'm really happy about that. People say to me, are you busy, Nigel? You go, to the, to the extent that I'd like to be. Now that, that, they want you to say, no, really busy, my hair's on fire. You go, no, I'm not at all. I'm absolutely not at all. I'm, I'm, I'm doing exactly what I want to be doing. I'm, I'm talking to you today. I've got to prepare for an interview I'm doing myself tomorrow. I'm going out tonight with mates. 
That doesn't feel right. Why are you saying that, Nigel? Why don't you pretend to Steve on his podcast that you've got 17 conversations with New York and Brazil and you're really, really busy? Because that's what people want to hear. And I, I go, well, that's rubbish. I've got twin daughters and their headmistress of their school was famous for being on in, in the newspaper, breastfeeding her second child eight hours after it was born at her desk because she was sending an example to the children of the school, it's a girls' school, that, that you can have it all. And you go, oh my, there you go. Right there is the problem. Right there. If you were the geography teacher at that school, a female geography teacher, and you think you're starting a family, you go, blimey, and I was hoping to have a few weeks, months, years off. Clearly, at this place, I've got to be back at work within 24 hours. And I was appalled and, and took my kids out of the school. But it, it is, that's held up as heroic. You know, super, superwoman, having an all. And it, it's just all, just the language is, it's for, the, Marissa Mayer, the, the lady who was the CEO of Yahoo, she used to boast in interviews that she did 130-hour weeks which always used to make me laugh because if she worked a five-day week, that's 26-hour days. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and Jeffrey Emmold, who's the CEO of GE, said he worked 100-hour weeks for 24 years in a row straight. Tim Cook, who's the, who's the <laughs> CEO of Apple, he starts his working day at 3.45. And when I first heard that, I thought, oh, that's quite good. You, you know, I mean, that, that, that gives him time to surf in the morning. I know 3.45 in the morning, Nigel, not in the afternoon. <laughs> and you go, right, so these guys, what people will say, they misunderstand my message, is they go, oh, well, it's all right for you, Nigel, but you know, I've got to earn a living. And you go, well, Tim, Jeffrey and Marissa haven't got to. They are worth, together, collectively, one and a half billion dollars. So they haven't got to get up at quarter to four. They haven't got to do 130 hours. Yet they do. And we think they're clever. I think they were a moron. If I had yeah. one and a half billion dollars, I'd be surfing. I mean, what did you do? So it's, it's really insidious. So it's not about be a hippie. I'm nothing wrong with being a hippie, but being a hippie or being the CEO of Apple. It's about normal people with normal jobs and families and lives not thinking they've got to be basically a modern day version of an Egyptian slave. That's, what, that, that, that's the answer. 3,000 years of evolution, and I want you to work your cock off until you die miserably. And you go, well, I, I just refuse to buy into it. Who, who set those rules? And the research shows that after about 30 hours, your productivity drops. And I meet people now that say, oh, you know, I do three jobs and I'm on this committee and I'm up till three in the morning and get three hours sleep like they're a hero. And they look extremely tired. And I don't think it's anything, I don't even give them the time of day. I'm not like, oh, wow, you're amazing. I just sort of like acknowledge it and move on. But it, you're right, it's moronic. Like uh, Tim Cook, his job is to make big decisions with a fresh mind. So he should be working 30 hours a week and delegating all the other tasks to his employees. You know, there are exceptions in this world, whether it is Elon Musk or Tim Cook or whatever else. My message is to... I hate using the word ordinary, but normal, ordinary people who aren't going to invent a life globe-changing thing. You go, what are we saying to your children and my children is the future of their working life? What have they got to look forward to when they leave school? Is it 50 years of drudgery and misery being whipped and, and having nothing to... You go, oh, no, I'd like to have a life where we all contribute and there's joy and there's whatever else not uh, this 
notion that it's about working really, really hard for shareholder value, market capital. I couldn't care less about that. No, that doesn't mean they don't have a place, but it's like it's out of balance. Does that make, that make sense? You're, yeah. you're completely right. Now, for Tim Cook, he should do whatever he wants to do, but you're totally right. Wouldn't it be amazing? Wouldn't it be amazing if he said, well, I'm, I'm on top of this amazing firm, which enables me not to get up at quarter to four in the morning. Now, the first step in solving any problem is acknowledging the reality of the situation you're in. And the reality of the society that we're in is there are thousands and thousands of people out there leading lives of quiet, screaming desperation, where they work long, hard hours at jobs they hate to enable them to buy things they don't need to impress people they don't like. <laughs> And it's my contention that going to work on a Friday in jeans and T-shirt isn't really getting to the nub of the issue. This is pretty much the heart of what this podcast is trying to solve. How do we change this modern capitalistic society to enable us to live more meaningful lives? I can't believe I said that. That sounds quite sensible. Well, you, you don't is the, is the short answer. And I know that's not what you want to hear, but it is, I think... How you approach that is you don't take the world's problems on your own shoulders. You sort out your life. And if enough people sort out their life, then the world will change. You don't do it. It's like waking up going, what can I do about climate change? Well, well you know, recycle and don't have a horrible car. But you, 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 it's not up to you unless you run the Chinese economy or the American economy to, to do it. So to think that you're going to change the free world commercial capitalist structure ain't going to happen. If you think you're going to make Goldman Sachs or the local bank you know, want to make slightly less money, you're not. Now, on one level, you go, oh, isn't that depressing? No, it's not depressing. As I said in my TED speech, the, the way of solving a problem is being honest about the situation you're actually in. It is not sensible to expect a publicly quoted company on the stock market to not want to whip its employees as much as it can get away with, as much as they'll pretend that, that you know, they'll have HR managers or whatever, the mental health stains, but they're, they're, they're designed to make a profit. And that's fine. We live in a free world. I don't want to live in Stalinist Russia. So you, you turn the telescope around and look at what you can do. And so, I mean, I, I had a successful, enjoyable career in advertising. That was fine. If I knew what I know now, then, when I was starting, I think I probably could have had a, a very enjoyable career in advertising because I would be in charge of it, but not expect the firm to be. You know, when you get, get enough money as a banker, have you read Bonfire of the Vanities, Tom Wolfe? No. Well, I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's a story about a banker, he goes into a hedge fund or whatever, and with his wife, he's agreed, when we get enough money, then we'll, you know, we'll retire. You know, I'm not in this for life. I'm just you know, in it to make my first million and then we'll buy a nice country house and we can be the people we want to be. But of course, it's a, it's a receding horizon. You get one million, you think, well, actually, probably need two. And then, oh, well, actually, I probably need three. I probably need, actually, we've got one house, but we need a holiday. And it's up to you. To, to, so I, I, my life, I mean, I'm not in any way complaining. I live in a nice suburb of Sydney, but there are consequences to how I live my life that I'm very happy with that there are people who've had my type of career who have 
dramatically more than I have. And, and I'm, I'm happy for them. That's, that's, you know, I haven't got a holiday house or a yacht or a plane. or a, you know, I'm not saying that's normal. But as in, I haven't got any of those things because I've made the decision it's not about maximising. That the philosophy of more, more, faster, faster. You can engage in a capitalist society on your terms. But you've also got to live with the consequences. Back to the... <laughs> The American horse vets. They were lovely people. And, 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 and they were saying, what can I do about the fact that the, these, these are call-outs and they're happening in the middle of the night and how can I have work-life balance? Because I've never seen a situation that can't be improved, ever. I've never seen a situation that can't be improved. And so I suggested this one person, I go, well, you could share your practice. So, so, so Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you're on call, and, and Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, he's on call. And that would mean that you at least have three nights sleep a week, as an example. And he said, lovely bloke, that means I'd earn less money. And I went, yeah. Big pause. Yes, it would. Oh, you want a way where you can work back less hard and make exactly, but that's not how it works. You go, you've got to. So things that you value in life cost. So having a meaningful. I mean, I, I admire people, not who say they're really, really busy and they've got billions, but they've got a smile on their dial. They, they're connected with their community and their family and they seem to be comfortable in their own skin. That's what I enjoy. And uh, mm. the reality is those probably aren't the richest people I know. And the people that chase financial wealth, they believe now that half of our um, success is actually uh, social capital, which of course you can't measure in terms of dollars. I can think of a guy on our street who's like the most social man in the world and he's got a modest career, but he knows everyone. He's a local in the community. He's involved in the rugby club. Just a real good bastard. And what more could you want in your life? Who, who is winning? So that guy. But at the same time, it shouldn't be used as an excuse for failure, for mediocrity, for irresponsibility. And, and so it's, you know, many of the people who talk about it are the wrong poster children. In, in some ways, part of the reason why I get hired to do as many speeches as I do is, is the thing that you alluded to earlier, is because I've had a successful corporate career. Because I, I used to run a firm with 1,200 employees and 30 of it. You know, it's not, you know, I'm not the local beekeeper. Nothing wrong with the beekeeper. I wish I was. But it's not someone who doesn't understand that stuff. And, and so... My model, my choice, is, is the bloke that you've described. He sounds fantastic. That, that's, that's the way. But not if he's a burden to the community and society because he's bloody work shy and he's on benefits and he doesn't, you, you know, you've got to, you know, you know, we've all got responsibilities, but we've just got it so out of whack. How many, how many houses do you need? How many bedrooms do you need? How many cars do you need? So th there comes a time where... What are you struggling for? It's, it's normal at the start of a career for the main motivation to be, I've got to pay for my family and look after them. And they're, they're, if you're lucky enough, which many people aren't, in which case I say keep on grinding. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's what you have to do. There comes a time in some people's lives where you go, do you know what? I might not need more. Everyone else might be going for more, but I might not need more. I mean, I'm wearing a T-shirt and it's not Prada. It's, it's, it's from the swim that I run. I'm judging you, Laura. <laughs> so, so, again, it comes down to personal choice, but 
podcasts like yours help? Because it may legitimise people making a different choice to I'm going to be the richest, most busy person in the room. If that's what they want to do, fine. But it's also to legitimise people. It's a bit like I'm really sorry for some women who are made to feel bad because they'd actually quite like to bring their kids up. My wife's like that. Yeah. And you go, that's completely fine. Now, if, if, if she wanted to outsource them to a nanny and go off and be a, you know, I don't know, a corporate lawyer who never saw them, that's also fine. But if she doesn't, she actually wants to stay at home and bring them up. That's no worse than being a massive success in business and earning lots of money. I mean, why would it be? Yet I know other women making women who make that choice feel bad, feeling lesser. How can yeah. we got to that stage? What could be more important, more enjoyable than bringing up the kid? So it was just, just a little bit out of whack. We need to redress the balance. You know, you're very clever with your Porsche and your big house and your holiday house. Well done. But, you, you know, you've, had, you've got enough attention. I'm actually quite interested in Steve's mate who lives across the road, who's part of the rugby club and nice to his wife and his kids like him coming home for tea. Without I mean, forcing people to do anything. It's just making people think. Just to go on a bit of a sidebar there on that uh, comment, you know, raising the kids. I think feminists are getting it wrong if they think that the success of feminism is for every second woman to be a CEO. If anything, we should be valuing motherhood more, remembering that this sort of like male capitalistic society that we've created isn't working. So why would every female want to aspire to be a CEO? Yeah, well, so I think, so you've got, you've got to be careful because it's, for me, it's about exploding choice. So women have every choice in the world. But what some commentators do, and they don't even know they're doing it, is they say that they're for women, but really what they actually mean unwittingly is I'm for women like me who make my choices. Now, yeah. there's a place for that because centuries of imbalance have to be addressed. But you, you're absolutely right. For me, it's about take gender out of it. Humans should have all the choices available to them. my daughters should have as much choices as my sons. But if they choose to do something that doesn't fit into a modern, striding, shoulder-pad-suited New York banker model, well, that's also a choice. You are allowed to be a stay-at-home mum. You're allowed to be a not-stay-at-home mum. Rather than some commentators are limiting. It's just a different set of impositions upon women. It should be exploding the options. You've now got the option to do everything, not I'm changing the things that I'm telling you to do. So in the past, if you were a 1950s housewife in America, you had no choice. Now, potentially in 2022 in New Zealand, you have to go to work eight hours after you've given birth <laughs> and pretend that you don't want to stay at home. You go, well, how is that helpful? The theme for this season is identify where you are currently. I ask Nigel how we can identify where we are currently before making any big decisions. The first thing is you need it to be a private process. You don't tell anyone else. You don't show it to anyone else. You know that you're not going to show it to anyone else. And the reason I say that is because then it takes out any, am I allowed to think these things? Is this good enough? Don't go and talk to your therapist or your best girlfriends or whatever. Don't sit down. Give yourself, you only need an hour, no more than an hour. Get yourself a quiet time where you can honestly do it without fear or favour. So you can actually say, actually, I just want to be the richest person of my friendship group. You know, that's actually, you know, you, you can admit things that aren't very palatable. Or you can say, do you know what? I really hate work. It's bloody stupid in the office. I don't want to bring up my kids. It's to make it a private thing. 
and then sit down. The second thing, so three tips. First is make it private. Second is there's, there's four parts to a human life, I think, intellectual, physical, emotional, and spiritual, but is sit down and think of it in this way. What type of person do I want to be? What type of life do I want to lead? And what type of legacy do I want to leave? Ask yourself those three questions and write it down, right? Then ask completely different question. It comes back to the month thing. So I've, I've written down what type of person I want to be in life and legacy. Now, honestly, and it's private, no one's going to see what type of person am I? What type of person, what type of life am I leading? And what type of legacy will I leave if I carry on like this? Honestly. So, so the first one could be, I want to be really, really fit or whatever it might be. And then I never do an exercise. Just, just, so write down the two separate things and then identify if there is a gap. So you say you want to be these things, I don't know, a good father, a good husband, part of your community, whatever it might be. And then when you get to the second list, the actual life you're leading, is there any relation between the two? Right? So, so, and if you've done it privately, you can say, blimey, I'm, I think I'm full of shit because I've said all these things. I don't help anyone. You know, those two lists, it's really, really helpful. I'd like to be the type of person at my funeral that they say, blah, blah, blah. And currently, if I die, they wouldn't say any of those things because... I don't do any of those things. Anyway, so write those two lists down. The third thing is then you have identified any gap or gaps that might exist between the two lists. And this is the whole thing, Steve. Then you sit down and you think, am I going to do anything about the gap? And, and it, it's your life. You can decide, no, I'm not. It's too hard or I'm too stupid or I didn't really mean what I said. But... If just pretend you go, I really, really, really want to, I don't know, live in the country and grow my own vegetables. And you go, well, I live in the centre of New York and I'm 40. You go, well, then move. <laughs> right. So, so, so the, the, my mantra is decide, don't slide. So I don't know you. I don't know what's important in your life, but you'll have things. And if you've done your reflection, then you look down and go, am I doing anything that's, you know, I, I really want to go to the Olympics to win the 100 metre final but I never go running. Well, yeah, well then, then you're a moron. You should sit down and have a think. Now, many people find it quite hard because it's easy to know what you want to run away from. It's less easy to know what you want to run away to. And that's the subject of a different podcast. And, you know, that's why I get hired to do speeches. But, but you know, reflection is the first thing. And then to build actually a meaningful, realistic way of, well, well, how can I construct this life? I was going to sort of finish things up, but I did just want to mention one thing on that topic. And I know friends who are in this position is people know they're not happy in their current existence and they can see what the thing is that they have to aim for, kind of like what you've suggested. But I think the thing that holds people back the most is the fear of change, even if it's positive change people were so scared of change that they convinced themselves oh actually hang on my job's all right yeah i'll just kind of keep doing it and then sort of really think about it in a few years time would you have any advice as to how to get them to break that without having those four and um, what did you call them the four yeah the big four death the disease big... divorce redundancy yeah i i have i mean again every situation is is individual and different but my advice when i meet people who say those types of things uh, and it's very specific, and it's based on my personal experience in those 30,000 emails that I've had, is start small, okay? So you think you're, un, you're, you're dissatisfied with your career, your job, your life, whatever, and you want to 
change things, but it's all a bit hard. You go, that's fine. That's absolutely fine. Mate, we're not going to change anything. We're going to have a year where you carry on doing exactly what you're doing. However, what we're going to do is every month you're going to add one small thing in, one small thing a month. And it could be for me, I'm going to turn my mobile phone off at 10 o'clock at night. And that might sound not much, but trust me, if you're the CEO of an ad agency, yeah, you, you know, but you're going to add one thing in that's going to improve your life in the direction you want to be. Very small. I'm going to pick up my kids once a fortnight from school. You go, blimey, that's not much. Take it really small so no one could argue with it. Okay? You're going to do that one thing for that one month and you're going to keep it. Now, what you'll find is the world doesn't fall to pieces. Nigel turns his phone off at 10 o'clock or picks his kid up from school once. Nothing doesn't not happen apart from my life gets slightly better. So we're going to keep that one improvement and the next month we're going to add another one in and the next month another. And then when you and I come and talk in a year's time, you'll have a different life. So you're knocking off uh, at three o'clock to go to the pub by the end of the year? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but you, it's amazing. People underestimate what they can achieve over the long time with, with small, consistently applied changes. I understand why people don't want to kick in their job and sell their house and go and live in a cave, nor should they. Work-life balance isn't about the grand gesture. I mean, it might work for some people, but it's, it's completely irresponsible to say to somebody, mate, you've got a bit of a soulless corporate job. You don't like how your life is, so kick it all in and, and go and leave it you know, on the side of a lake. And you go, how's that going to work? You know, this, this, this is a grown-up <laughs> adult conversation rather than a, an infantile babyish one. Yeah. So, it, you know, calm, reflective. If you can't make a big sensible decision like I'm going to move to the country and I'm going to change professions, whatever it might be, don't worry, there's hope. Don't give in to the philosophy of despair. What we're going to do is we're going to sign up to a program of small incremental changes that we're going to keep and we're going to add to. And although you'll still be a, an accountant or whatever it is that is making you miserable, you'll be a happier accountant. I promise you. A friend came to see me last year and said, Nigel, I've read your book and I realised that my life is completely out of balance. It's totally dominated by work. I work 10 hours a day, I commute two hours a day. All my relationships have failed. There's nothing in my life apart from my work. So I've decided to get a grip and sort it out. So I've joined a gym. <laughs> now, I don't mean to mock, but being a fit 10 hour a day office rat isn't more balanced, it's more fit. <laughs> Lovely, though physical exercise may be, there are other parts to life. There's the intellectual side, there's the emotional side, there's the spiritual side. And to be balanced, I believe we have to attend to all of those areas, not just do 50 stomach crunches. Now, that can be daunting, because people say, bloody hell, mate, I haven't got time to get fit. You want me to go to church and call my mother? <laughs> and I understand, I, I truly understand how that can be daunting. But an incident that happened a couple of years ago gave me a new perspective. My wife, who is somewhere in the audience uh, today, called me up at the office and said, Nigel, you need to pick our younger son up, Harry, from school. She had to be somewhere else with the other three children for that evening. 
So I left work an hour early that afternoon and picked Harry up at the school gates. We walked down to the local park, messed around on the swings, played some silly games. I then walked him up the hill to the local cafe and we shared a pizza for tea. Then walked down the hill to our home uh, and I gave him his bath and put him in his Batman pajamas. I then read him a chapter of Roald Dahl's James and the Giant Peach. I then put him to bed, tucked him in, gave him a kiss on his forehead and said, good night, mate, and walked out of his bedroom. As I was walking out of his bedroom, he said, Dad, I went, yes, mate. He went, Dad, this has been the best day of my life, <laughs> ever. I hadn't done anything. Hadn't taken him to Disney World or bought him a PlayStation. Now, my point is, the small things matter. Being more balanced doesn't mean dramatic upheaval in your life. With the smallest investment in the right places, you can radically transform the quality of your relationships and the quality of your life. Moreover, I think it can transform society. Because if enough people do it, we can change society's definition of success away from the moronically simplistic notion that the person with the most money when he dies wins to a more thoughtful and balanced definition of what a life well-lived looks like. And that, I think, is an idea worth spreading. That was Nigel Marsh. He's one of those people who has somehow managed to master a level of work-life balance to suit him, and also in the process has supported a family of four kids had a successful advertising career, featured in a wildly popular TED talk, authored three books including Fat 40 and Fired, Fit 50 and Fired Up, and Overworked and Underlaid. Finally, he has his own podcast, which he wanted to mention himself. It's called The Five of My Life. I interview, for want of a better word, famous people, so prime ministers, Olympic champions, but also you know, people that you haven't heard of, and I get them to uh, tell me their favourite film, book, song, place, possession. And the point behind it isn't because I'm interested in those things, which I am to an extent, it's the stories behind them. So if anyone wants to check it out, The Five of My Life on, on all the usual iTunes, Spotify, whatever. You can find out more about Nigel at nigelmarsh.com or check out his podcast, The Five of My Life. Nigel was oozing with good advice. Three tips worth taking home from Nigel today. One, spread out the time frame by which you consider work-life balance. Don't aim for the perfect day. Aim for a balanced week or a balanced month. So you might work hard at the start of the week, but then balance it out with a day off, like I do, or have a cruisy schedule later in the week. Two, don't take the world's problems on your own shoulders. I see this from so many of my friends. They don't quit their jobs because they think they owe it to society to fix problems that society has created. You sort out your life, and if enough people sort out their own life, then the world will change. Three, if you don't want to wait for death, disease, divorce or redundancy to force you to change, but are a bit apprehensive of change, start small. 
As per last season, every episode I'll give you a challenge to help you on your own journey out of a 9 to 5 job. This week's challenge, work-life balance. Challenge accepted. Privately, ask yourself honestly, what type of person do I want to be? What type of life do I want to lead? What type of legacy do I want to leave? Then ask, what type of person am I? What type of life am I leading? What type of legacy will I leave if I carry on this way? Identify if there is a gap between those two things. And finally ask yourself, am I going to do anything about the gap? As Nigel says, decide, don't slide. And remember, if you want to do anything about the gap but are scared of change, start small. Even if it's just one small thing a month, over time you will head in the right direction. So, this week, figure out your own work-life balance. Challenge accepted. I'm your host, Steve O'Ealy, and thanks for listening to Escape the 9 to 5. If you'd like help on your own career journey, be sure to join our Facebook group, Escape the 9 to 5 Podcast. There you'll meet a group of like-minded professionals on their own journey out of the 9 to 5 job. This week, we're talking about ways to make small changes towards creating your own ideal work-life balance, whatever that may look like. The link to the group is in the show notes. Escape the 9 to 5 is a Deals Media production. If you felt like this episode brought you any value at all and helped you on your own journey to escaping the 9 to 5, please do give us a rating if you're on Apple or Spotify podcasts. Otherwise, make sure you subscribe on whatever app you're listening on. The show is produced and created by me, Steve O'Ealy. Editing is thanks to Jeremy Grater. And show music is thanks to Mikey Geiger. For more information and support, please visit our Facebook page, Escape the 9 to 5 Podcast. Otherwise, you can visit our website, escapethe9to5.net. Good luck on your own career journey. Thanks for tuning in. And we'll see you next time on Escape the 9 to 5.